The confrontation grew quickly between the white hospital employee and young black men just getting ready for a bike ride. The white woman here is seen attempting to steal a city bike from a young black man, claiming she was threatened and was calling for help. The fake news is fake as ever, totally wrong, and stirring the racial pot. Don't they do that all the time? Not a word was uttered about race. I called this earlier in the week. I saw it. It was a dispute. Apparently, we have the receipts now. The lawyer says that was her bike. Absolutely. And the guy was trying to take it from her. Anyway, no one's going to jail here, but she is being canceled because she violated one of the rules of cancel culture. A white woman having an argument with a young black man. Who's going to win? No matter what the merits, no matter what happened, no matter that she is pregnant and wants to take a bike, nobody cares because in this culture, diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, right? That is the new deity. What does it stand for? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Sounds great. It's not, actually. DEI. Also, I want you to look at these, uh, these letters. Yep, get it? De, Deus. This is the Latin root for God. This is the God we are all supposed to worship. No way. They're pushing it hard. And so many people are falling for it. Don't. This is not God. This is a perversion. And so many of us are not falling for it and didn't fall for it, including the late, great Jim Brown. Most dominant player to ever step on any athletic field. He's bigger and faster and stronger than everybody on the field. Guys that are extremely strong uh, may not be as agile. Uh, some guys have all the speed in the world but may not have the balance. Jim had it all. One and only, dead at the age of 87 years old, legendary football player, and guess what? Big ally of Donald Trump, and also somebody who wasn't afraid of tackling touchy issues about race. You know, actually, he did not vote for Donald Trump, but he came to deeply respect and admire him. Um, take a look at this, please. What brought you to Trump Tower? This guy? Well, I'll tell you, uh, the president of the United States brought me, my president. You know, that's, uh, he won it fair and square. He's uh, going to be our man for the next four years at least, probably eight. And he's amenable to listening to people who did not vote for him. I fell in love with him because he really talks about helping African-American black people. And uh, that's why I'm here. But not looking for a handout. He doesn't think the African-American community needs a handout. Jim Brown, a total leader in every respect. Didn't hear about him too much in recent years because he was so counter-narrative to our warped and demented national conversation. The black community, and I'm a part of the black community, has a responsibility regardless of what the president does. And if you have a homicide rate within your black community, then it's not the president that's created that homicide rate. It's the black community itself that needs to address it. So I don't want to just put everything on him. And I'm sorry to say that the black community is not doing what we should do, and that includes myself. Well, he was doing plenty. 
But those are hard truths. They're hard to speak, inconvenient. Nobody really wants to hear it, but it's true. Jim Brown, end this too, please. Is America racist? Of course not. The emancipation, the, the, the advancement of black people in this country is based upon white people who risk their lives just to do the right thing to make the, the playing field uh, equal and balanced. So, Jim Brown is dead at the age of 87. Um, you didn't see him on too many mainstream media talk shows, did you? And he was sympathetic, kind, and respectful to President Trump. Isn't it amazing? He gets branded a racist. Donald Trump, all of his life, oh, by the way, before he needed people of color in his environment for, say, a political career, they were drawn to him, and he was drawn to them and some icons. That's Muhammad Ali, and yes, that's Rosa Parks, who would not get up off that bus. It's an amazing picture, an amazing woman, and his heart in the right place. Meanwhile, Joe Biden, <laughs> who's the racist here? You got more questions, but I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. I find that so amazing. How could he say something so offensive and not be, well, if you want to cancel somebody, I mean, that's arguably cancelable, don't you think? Also, Hillary Clinton, what she did to Barack Obama, you know all that stuff about Kenya actually started with her campaign. Absolutely. All right, so Donald Trump, of course, is running for president. They're coming after him really hard with all kinds of stuff. It's not... It's not working. Their plan is not working. More Republicans, though, sense an opportunity. All right? They're all... This is what we have so far. Uh, and it looks like Ron DeSantis will declare next week. Now, if you've been watching this show, it's pretty clear. I support Donald Trump. I can't formally endorse anybody, but he's the guy for me. Anyway, these two... Um, I have to defend Casey DeSantis right now. You know, what they did to her... Politico, a classic cheap hit job. The Casey DeSantis problem, his greatest asset and his greatest liability. So this is really sad. But in politics, if you have a problem in a campaign or in a White House, what do you do? You don't talk to the person. You leak it anonymously to some website. Anyway, here's what they've got. In a lobby in a hotel in Tampa, Jolly, some ex-congressman, elderly mother, asked the DeSantis's if she could take their picture to have as a keepsake. They obliged, and she thanked them. According to the story, and Casey, Jolly told me, turns and snaps at my mom and says, I better not see that photo in any opposition research. Jolly was appalled. He called her in our conversation an ice queen. Both ice and queen, he said, are doing the work here. I don't believe a word of this story. None of it makes sense. And it's seven years ago. And if you've seen this David Jolly guy on TV, he's not to be trusted. And these pieces are not to be trusted. He's the only guy who went on the record pretty much. Let's see, there's another one that... Make no mistake, the reason why there is so much turnover in the campaign and has been within the DeSantis ranks throughout the years, a Republican consultant, no name told me, is if you get on the wrong side of Casey DeSantis... You're gone. Ooh, as if that's so unusual. Get on the wrong side of the boss's wife? Yeah, that's a very bad thing in any industry. Um, so, Casey DeSantis, this is what comes when you're in the political game, I guess.
Now, having said all that, I do have a note for the DeSantis's as they, well, apparently are about to declare for president. Take a look at this. I know Ron is a great man. I know his story. I know that he's a guy that came from humble roots and a humble beginning, that he worked his way through Yale University and Harvard Law School. I know he's a man of integrity, of honor, of character, of values. He's a tremendous husband and a wonderful father. This is a guy that served our country admirably in the United States Navy. This is a guy who worked his tail off uh, to be able to get through Yale University and Harvard Law School. So he came from really humble beginnings. He didn't have anything. That is very beautiful, but good for Ron. Good for Casey, good for the family. For the country, it's not really, it's neither here nor there. The military, all right, let's start with the military. Lots of people served in the military. Lots and lots of people. Uh, that in and of itself, I don't know, I don't think it's make or break. And also, I keep hearing about the good schools he went to. Harvard, Yale, Harvard, Yale. Uh, lots of people graduate from these schools. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's what do you bring to the table? What can you do? And they gotta have to constantly tell you what Ron did, whereas with Trump, we all knew it because we knew about him for decades. We saw him run for president. We know him. Anyway, we'll see what happens. And ooh, this was not good. Did you see what happened with Disney? Disney is canceling plans to build a billion dollar campus in Lake Nona. It would have brought 2,000 jobs to Central Florida, spread out across nearly 2 million square feet of office space. The company is blaming changing business conditions and didn't directly mention its ongoing fight with Governor Ron DeSantis. The governor's critics, though, say he's now created a hostile work environment. Well, uh, you take on Disney, and Disney's totally woke and weird, and they are, they should be criticized. But this guy, Robert Iger, uh, somehow, he wants to be president himself someday. DeSantis should have been able to handle this, and he didn't. He failed test number one in my book, or test number 10, or whatever it is. It reminds me of when Amazon decided not to come to New York City. Amazon had a big plan to come here, and they pulled out. Why? Because they found AOC annoying and hostile. She declared victory. She thought it was the greatest thing in the world because she's, well, very unintelligent. But right now... AOC and DeSantis, they've got something in common, all right? Their behavior led a big, major employer to go elsewhere. And that tells me something about their ability to govern and their ability overall. All right, back to Trump, if we can, for a moment. Number one, with him, we know what we're getting. We've been watching him for decades, right? Number one, we've seen the buildings. We know all this stuff. And also, from the TV show, too, the presidency itself, he ran, he won, and he won the first time out. Never forget how crazy that drives career politicians. You don't run for president and win the first time out. That never, ever happens. Well, except for him and maybe Eisenhower. All right, next. So the Bilderberg meeting, uh, do you know anything about this? <laughs> it's news to me. It's happening right now in Lisbon, Portugal. It's been going on since 1954, a secret meeting featuring some of the world's most powerful people, and they don't want us to know what's going on inside. Reportedly, on the list, Sam Altman. He just developed OpenAI. Uh, uh, he's the chat GPT dude. Satya Nadella, the Microsoft CEO. Jen Stoltenberg, the head of NATO. Also, Alberta Borla, Pfizer's CEO. Okay. 
the vaccine, sure, but don't make anybody take it like you did. Very unfortunate. Uh, the global community and the Ukrainian foreign minister, what are they going to talk about and why is it in secret? Well, here's reportedly what's on the agenda. Whoa, we've got some major, major topics here, right? The highlights for me, uh, and if they're going to make decisions about this stuff, we need to know AI, the banking system, energy transition, Russia, Ukraine. And why are they talking about U.S. leadership? Is that code for the election, excuse me, in 2024? I would imagine that uh, globalists uh, maybe would not be on the side of Donald Trump. What's happening in that meeting, we probably really won't find out. They have something called Chatham House Rules. And that basically is a form of elegant and elite censorship. We're not going to know the whole deal. Although maybe, who knows, Elon Musk. Elon Musk will tell us. I like that guy and I trust him. All right, something to keep in mind. One more time. It's called the Bilderberg Meeting, and it's happening right now in Lisbon, Portugal. We'll be right back. Well, none of this is at all normal. Uh, Dianne Feinstein struggling to come back into the United States Senate. Look, I feel bad for these folks. Uh, she's not fit to be a senator. He's not fit to be a president, Joe Biden. And also, senatorial material, I'm sorry, Fetterman can't handle it. What kind of party is this? Oh, by the way, the Democrat Party, thinking that we're not going to notice this stuff? It all goes unremarked upon. You're not supposed to talk about it. The media barely touches it. This is serious stuff, and it's weird, and it's un-American to, quite frankly, not talk about. And they've lied about it, actually, all the time. People are always in a hurry. They run when they could walk, race up steps when others take it slow. When Joe Biden's president, America is just going to have to keep up. <laughs> Actually, he might be trying to live up to this promise. Don't do it, Joe. Did you see what happened in Japan going down those steps? Uh, look, this could have been really, really bad if he fell. And that's close. You know, if he falls, it is bad for the country. I don't want this to happen. Um, he fell off the bike, remember, trying to show how youthful he is. And that was terrible. It's a bad image for America, bad image for him. And going up Air Force One, all this stuff shows that he just is not capable or qualified physically, let alone mentally, to be president of the United States. And take a look at this from the National Institute of Health. Falling for a person his age could be completely catastrophic. So, uh, look, I don't like Joe Biden. My prediction is actually in a year he won't be president. This can't go on. He's going to have to resign something. Um, and I'll say it again, just like I said a few weeks after he took the oath. When you're the man, everybody's looking and watching. And I've noticed something about you. And actually, from the heart, sir, this is sincere. It concerns me. Uh, you're taking those stairs a little bit too fast. This whole running thing, this whole trying to convince everybody that you're a man of vitality. I've seen you run down ramps, run on stage, run off stage. Uh, it's going to catch up with you. And we're starting to see it. Take it easy, OK? Fair enough? Fair enough. Am I a nice guy or what, huh? Has anybody on Joe's staff spoken to him so directly? Has Jill? Has anybody in the U.S. Senate? Hey, I'm trying to help the guy. I don't want him to be president, but uh, look, and we can't have Kamala, right? What are we going to do? What, uh, what, what would happen if he resigned? Would it be her? 
Well, you know who the fake news really loves, uh, much more than Kamala, him, Pete Buttigieg, the utterly unqualified former mayor, him. Now, why do they like him? Well, get to that in a second, but they do like him. They keep writing these glowing profiles, one after the next, after the next. Now, as far as the woke stuff, you know, he should be making the trains run on time and all that stuff. No, <laughs> he talks about things like this. Hello, I'm U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, and I want to thank the Austria World Summit for inviting me to say a few words today. And I want to recognize all of the leaders who are gathered here for your continuing commitment to addressing the global challenge of climate change. Boy, yeah, he just doesn't... The trains, planes, automobiles, they don't interest him. The Austria Climate Summit or whatever that thing was, that's beautiful. He doesn't like to work hard. Remember when he took vacation? Hey, I mean, it's great that he's got a family going, but I took, I took the afternoon off when I had a, my child, actually. Then I took a day off when I had my second child, and then it was right back to work. This is crazy stuff, but we saw, I saw this coming. He was a mayor of a very small town. Why did he become the Secretary of Transportation? You want the answer? You want it? This is it right here. Why is he considered presidential timber by the Democrat Party? This is why. Pete Buttigieg is the first major gay candidate ever. Buttigieg, who is openly gay. He's a Christian, a veteran. Uh, he's from the Midwest. Uh, and he's openly gay. He is the first uh, 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 gay candidate who is out uh, and proud uh, running in this election for president. Uh, that's the first time that's ever happened. It is the first time it's ever happened that being gay would be considered a qualification. It's not a qualification. It's not a detriment. It's just who he is, right? I mean, we're in a place now where being heterosexual is somehow considered not interesting, at least not with Democrats or whatever. It's irrelevant, in my opinion. It was on TV, by the way, and the New York Times and the, the heavy-duty political reporters, they wrote about it incessantly. This is what he brought to the table. Who the hell cares? Excuse me. And now we're stuck with it. Now, there's one other thing that intrigues them. Ooh, he was in the military. The military. Well, you got to know a few things about this. It was a scam, an absolute and total scam. He didn't go to boot camp. He filled out some paperwork. It was a, a shortcut to the prestige of military service without the sacrifice. You know where he, uh, I told you, no boot camp. You know where he actually took the oath to be an officer? At a Bob's Big Boy. Absolutely. He went to see the recruiter at the Bob's Big Boy, uh, more recently than 1957, by the way. I don't think that's the Bob's Big Boy. And in his book, Military Life Was a Piece of Cake. Military duty? Almost like a vacation. Hmm, that wasn't when I was in, by the way. I would be expected to work 40 hours a week, positively relaxing tempo compared to my schedule as a full-time mayor running for re-election. Wow. It was like a political Sabbath. There was time to work out, eat properly, catch up with old friends over dinner, and get a good night's sleep. Well, um, he was in the Naval Reserve, a very peculiar, obscure portion of the Naval Reserve, and he could take it easy. You know who his military hero was? John Kerry. That should tell you a lot right there. And from his own book again, John Kerry, who betrayed his country, betrayed everybody he served with, and came back and exploited his experience. Listen to this. At the outset of the mobilization, I had felt a sense of purpose, maybe even idealism, 
that can only be compared to the feeling of starting on a political campaign. I thought back to 2004 and John Kerry's presidential run, and then remembered that it was during that campaign that I saw the iconic footage of his testimony as the spokesman for Vietnam veterans against the war. Well, he gets to Afghanistan and he's thinking about John Kerry. So he's thinking about how can I exploit this for a political career? Um, <laughs> we don't like that. It's borderline stolen valor. And he comes back to America, runs for president, which is, I don't talk about white privilege, but that sounds a little bit like white privilege. South Ben Mayer running for president of the United States and gets in there and makes all the right noises about climate change and racist bridges. Yes, according to Pete Buttigieg, this beautiful bridge um, on a parkway not too far from where I grew up is racist, is absolutely racist, according to the woke left. And they're about to pour trillions of dollars into fixing these racist bridges. It is a total fake scam error in history. They don't know what they're talking about. They think they're being intellectual. They're not. But I'll say this about Pete. If he should ever run for president, the only way he could become president is being, well, the vice presidential route, because I think he's going to find something of a problem when he gets to South Carolina. He certainly did the last time. All right. Hey, you know about the situation with the subway hero? In my book, he's a hero, Daniel Penny. Uh, that individual that he's restraining Unfortunately, he died. I do not believe it's the fault of Daniel Penny. Uh, his name, Jordan Neely. Nobody points this out, but arrested 44 times before this incident. Well, 18 days after he died, they had the funeral. They had the funeral today. And Al Sharpton gave the eulogy. Al Sharpton, who never met Jordan Neely, uh, gave the eulogy. Isn't there something? And, and that's what he does. <laughs> How many eulogies has he given for people he has never even met? It's a bizarre kind of thing, don't you think, right? I mean, friends, family, but it's financial. And he's got it all worked out with Ben Crump, the race-hustling lawyer. I'll be right back. And I've been talking about how the world is going crazy with supply chain issues, record-setting inflation, and sky-high gas prices. We've all seen this crazy woke nonsense going on with these big corporations, and it's time for us to let our voices be heard. The question is, what are you willing to do about it? How can our voices be heard? Well, we can vote with our dollars. That's how we can make a difference. No more shopping at big box stores if you can get the items from a family-owned company. PatriotSwitch.com helps people walk away from the big box conglomerates. We can shop factory direct at a family-owned made-in-America manufacturer. That's why Patriot Switch was created with regular folks like you and me in mind. I love what the folks at Patriot Switch are doing for us. One of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation today is to shop with family-owned companies that put their customers first rather than their shareholders or corporate executives. Each of us can choose to take a market share away from these businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages and instead choose to help regular people by shopping family-owned Made in America. Make a difference right now. Go to PatriotSwitch.com. What kind of people would let this happen to America? Hmm? The destruction of the border. We have no border. It's meaningless now. And we are slowly but surely losing the country. 
Now, these people are being fanned out all over America, totally unvetted, and a lot of them are coming to, well, a few blocks from where I live. Um, the Roosevelt Hotel. Take a look at this. The new use for a well-known hotel that closed down during the pandemic, the Roosevelt Hotel in Midtown will open today as an arrival center for asylum seekers arriving in New York City from the southern border. The mayor is expecting up to 15 buses of asylum seekers to arrive here in the city this weekend. So anyway, the Roosevelt Hotel, you may have heard of it, even if you don't live in New York. Uh, it used to be a very, very nice place. This was uh, The Tonight Show when it was shot in New York City. All the guests stayed at the Roosevelt Hotel. Um, started all the way back, I think, in the late 1920s and politicians. Thomas Dewey had his, uh, I guess he had his defeat party here. Anyway, yeah, it was shuttered during COVID. And then it was all really downhill. It had been in decline for a number of years, actually. Pakistan bought it um, at some point. So the hotel is gone, and in come the migrants, many of them illegal, many of them unvetted. We have an incompetent governor and mayor. They just like standing around, posing for pictures. They have absolutely no idea what to do. Joe Biden, we know he's completely oblivious and uh, or or maybe he wants it to happen anyway back to the hotel i think it's kind of interesting um that this is happening at the roosevelt hotel who remembers the movie wall street gordon gecko greed is good that was actually filmed inside the roosevelt hotel the point is ladies and gentlemen that greed for lack of a better word is good 1987, greed is good, famous line. But in that speech, in that hotel, which is now inundated with illegal migrants from who knows where, he said something about America. America, America has become a second-rate power. Its trade deficit and its fiscal deficit are at nightmare proportions. Now, in the days of the free market, when our country was a top industrial power, there was accountability to the stockholder. The Carnegies, the Mellons, the men that built this great industrial empire made sure of it because it was their money at stake. Today, management has no stake in the company. In 1987, he was talking about America having lost its industrial might. Have we gotten it back since? The Roosevelt Hotel. I went to a Star Trek convention there, yes, when I was in eighth grade. And now it's home to a bunch of people who have checked in and they've got no intention of checking out. We'll be right back. Under President Joe Biden's volatile economy, we are at the cusp of an economic meltdown. The recent Silicon Valley bank failure sparked a deadly domino effect, and now nearly 200 banks across the country are teetering at the edge of collapse. Nobody's money is safe. Many depositors aren't insured by the FDIC and may lose access to their money completely. Wealthy Americans are withdrawing their cash fast and turning it into gold. The United States hasn't seen a potential chain of bank failures this catastrophic since the Great Recession. It's time to protect your money today before your retirement disappears. Call Monetary Gold to receive our free protection guide at 800-586-9591. 
Learn how Americans are shielding their wealth from the bank collapses by diversifying in gold. Call now because tomorrow may be too late. Call Monetary Gold at 800-586-9591. That's 800-586-9591. I said last year, especially to our younger transgender Americans, I'll always have your back as your president so you can be yourself and reach your God-given potential. I'm sorry, he's talking about trans kids at the State of the Union. I don't think he should be even thinking about trans kids. It's such a a small issue that has been totally blown up. And when the president talks like that, the trickle-down effect, the policies that have been set, take a look at this. At one school uh, outside of Fort Collins, Colorado, uh, the students have a general right to keep their transgender or non-binary status private from parents. Disclosing this information to parents may violate privacy laws. Well, this is a major, major problem. Uh, the Lee family, they don't like it. The Lees, uh, here they are. I mean, uh, these kinds of matters seem so unbelievably foreign, in a way, foreign. And it's a private matter, if it should be a matter at all. We're joined by Erin Lee right now, mother of a student at, at the Poudre, I hope I got that right, school district in Wellington, Colorado. Her daughter was in sixth grade at the Wellington Middle High School when the incident occurred in 2021. She's currently 14 years old. Uh, she was subjected to some, uh, well, indoctrination perhaps. Jessica Hart Steinman, General Counsel at America First Policy Institute. Welcome to you both. How are you? And thanks for being here. Doing good. Thanks for having us today. You bet. You bet. Erin, can you tell us first, set it up for us, what happened to your daughter, please? Yeah, we were new to Wellington in the Pooter School District, and my daughter was invited to stay after school for art club by her art teacher in the art room. But when she got there, it was GSA, or what they call Gender and Sexuality Awareness Club. And the art teacher had invited in another woman, also a district employee, who started with her number one rule, what you hear in here, keep in here. She used flags to describe umbrella terms, including telling the kids, if you're not completely comfortable in your biological sex, that means you're transgender. She told them that queer is a term to use while they're still figuring out their sexuality. She talked about polyamory, suicide, telling the kids that these labels make them more likely to kill themselves. She said families might not be safe. They don't have to tell their parents about where they are. And she talked about uh, puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. And they doubled down on, remember, you don't have to tell your parents. And this was an art club. And this is where it went. By the way, they said right away, you can't talk about this elsewhere. Uh, I hope she did right away. Or did it take some coaxing? How did you find out about this stuff? We could tell as soon as we picked her up that something was off. And she immediately told us what had happened. And we followed up with an email to the woman who was in the classroom. And she doubled down on everything that was done with our children. Jessica Hart-Steinman, general counsel at the America First Policy Institute. A lawsuit is in the works about all this stuff. Um, we've heard the allegations. Now, how do you put that into a lawsuit? And what are you looking for? Exactly, Greg. So we filed at America First Policy Institute, we filed a lawsuit about a week and a half ago to protect Aaron's parental rights under the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. And so there's a longstanding um, fundamental liberty in the Constitution that parents and, you know, not our school districts and not our government, but parents are the ones that are to govern our children's education and upbringing. And, you know, this is really happening all around the nation, as Erin's kind of talked about in her school district. 
Um, but that's why we filed this lawsuit, to really send a nationwide message that pushes back against these woke policies and really restores the power back to parents like Aaron. You know, I live in New York City. Uh, this stuff, you know, in, in certain neighborhoods, it, it's happening all across the country. And it's kind of, it really is. Uh, Aaron, you said that the teacher was like, you know, got all kind of huffy and puffy about it. Like, yeah, this is what we're doing. Um, who are these people, by the way? I mean, like, where do they come from? Do they strike you at first glance as normal teachers who came from, you know, the normal pipeline where teachers come from? Well, and we live in a conservative community outside Fort Collins. So this is happening everywhere. Yeah. And we were completely unassuming. We, we trusted this art teacher. And my daughter trusted this art teacher. But the woman who was invited in, who was also a district employee, runs an organization called Skittles for kids 5 to 11 and Flash for kids 12 and up to discuss gender and sexuality. And she's deeply entrenched in our community. And she's been praised for what she's done, as well as the art teacher. The art teacher has been praised for if her we, work. We have a little uh, a full screen, the image of a rubber bracelet that's handed out. Uh, the bracelet reads, sounds gay, I'm in. Get it? Being gay is cool, I'm in. Uh, whatever, 18 and up, sure. Yeah, wear that bracelet. But for children, this is insane. And oh, by the way, um, the 14th Amendment, fine, but it sounds borderline like criminal, like in the here and now. Adults talking about sex with children, Jessica Hartstein, and there's got to be something, there's got to be some statute that says it can't happen like this. Exactly. I mean, we're here in a civil lawsuit because we're representing um, Aaron in this case. And so, you know, we love some of these attorney generals, and I, I think you see that around the nation that other people are pushing back. But this case um, for us in Colorado um, was the best way to really push this. And we're pushing for an injunction in the case to really make it where school districts have to give notice and opt-in provisions to those parents. And then also let's see the curriculum beforehand. Um, and, and that's what parents want. Parents want to be able to see the curriculum, hear about what's going to be taught to their children, and then, you know, they get to be the ones making the decision, not the teacher. And I think the important thing that Erin talked about was um, her child and the kids there were actually told, you know, what stays, what's talked about in this art club is supposed to stay in the art club. Don't go home and you don't have to tell your parents about it. And yeah. Decisions like these, I mean, we want kids talking to their parents about this. Uh, totally. It's that, that line they're lifting from Fight Club, I think. What happens in Fight Club stays in Fight Club. This is totally <laughs> perverse. Hey, do me a favor. I want to play. We, we showed Joe Biden at the State of the Union. I want to do that one more time, if you don't mind. It's pretty quick. D06, please. I said last year, especially to our younger transgender Americans, I'll always have your back as your president so you can be yourself and reach your God-given potential. You know, I want everybody to reach their God-given potential, but I think there's something wrong about him talking about transgender children at the State of the Union address. I think that it's, um, I don't know, it's something, it's way outside of the scope of his job description as president. That's what I'm looking for, Aaron. And Aaron, please. Yeah, well, our school district has come out and said that one in three students are LGB, and the woman that was in our classroom proclaimed 47% of kids in Larimer County, where I live, are LGBTQ. So clearly, there's a much larger issue at play here. 
And I will say that this 90 minute meeting, it had dire consequences for my daughter. Her confusion led to depression that led to suicidality, as well as the other little girl who's on our lawsuit. She drank bleach and attempted suicide as a result of the confusion and depression. So this is a really serious issue and it's not to be taken lightly. Our, our president should not be praising transgender children. That doesn't exist. You know, uh, childhood was pretty tough and I read Curious George. You know, and I had uh, I had my ups and downs as a kid. It's uh, it's a tough time. Well, Erin um, Lee, thank you very much. Jessica Hart Steinman at the America First Policy Institute. We wish you luck. Uh, keep in touch. And uh, is there anything we can do to help? I think I mean, the main thing is having parents like Erin, just really courageous parents that come out and speak about this. And thank you for having her on today. All right. Absolutely. Anytime. It's so important and it's so insane what is happening. You guys are totally right. I mean, they're totally wrong and it's obvious. <laughs> and I think this is going to pass someday, but it's going to be a lot of fighting first. Thank you both. We'll be right back. Well, college. Did you go to college? I went to college. I didn't take advantage of it, but uh, Anyway, college used to be relatively simple, you know, study a little bit, keg parties, maybe fraternities. Uh, now it's a woke zoo, totally crazy. And a lot of that is documented, I believe, in uh, the new book. It's called Brutal Minds, the Dark World of Left Wing Brainwashing in Our Universities. And it's by Dr. Stanley Ridgely who joins us right now. He's a clinical full professor of management at Drexel University's LeBeau College of Vi Business and a former military intelligence officer. Sir, welcome to Newsmax. How are you? And congratulations on the book. Oh, well, thanks so much. It's a great pleasure to be here, Greg, talking with you about what I think is one of the most important problems facing America today, and that's the decline of higher education. Who's responsible and what we can do about it? So, uh, well, let's tackle those questions. And one thing, though, I said, oh, it was all it used to be so nice in college. This has been going on for a long time, decades. I mean, the professors, if I think about it, were pretty liberal. Uh, but this is obviously not an overnight thing. Who started it and why? I'd have to say it started in the education schools about 20 years ago, if you really want to find a culprit and finger that culprit. And the, the reason being the education schools are the least respected of our uh, institutions on the college campuses in terms of academia, but they wanted to find a way to break out and influence the rest of the campus because much of what they teach in the education schools is grounded in um, neo-Marxism or critical theory. And so they said, aha, let's create graduate programs uh, in student affairs and higher education leadership, educational management, we can graduate people and put them into the bureaucracies of college. And I think you know the bureaucracies are swelling beyond all, um, uh, all um, uh, reason for their existence. Uh, for instance, Stanford has, I think, 15,000 bureaucrats to go for 15,000 students. And these bureaucrats run what is called or they call a co-curriculum alongside the curriculum. I teach business in the curriculum, as do many of my colleagues, the chemistry and physics. These bureaucrats teach in the co-curriculum. These are uh, workshops and seminars called brave spaces, safe spaces, racial caucuses, um, uh, and, and things of that sort. And yeah. in these uh, in these uh, caucuses and, and um, uh, workshops, we find the brainwash. And this is anywhere social education is taught, you know that you're in the presence of the brainwash, utilizing brainwash techniques of psychological manipulation, behavior modification. And I want to go back to your previous guest who said that 
whenever this is the this is part of the brainwash to create a safe space where All right, Dr. Ridgely, can I just yeah. add, I want to jump in yeah, for sure. a moment before we go to the other guests, sure. if you don't mind. Dr. Ridgely, uh, you said the education schools, like the schools yeah. you go to when you want to be a teacher, right? Exactly. And these were the yeah. least, these yeah. were the less prestigious schools. And this was like their insecurity. They wanted yeah. to make a mark. And that's why they started going with this woke nonsense to be different. And look at us, we're, we're more prestigious than the law school. To expand their influence uh, uh, school wide. That was basically their. That was basically you know, their messianic and their Marxist um, orientation, and this was their method whereby they would achieve this kind of uh, influence over the over the colleges. And brainwashing, brainwashing. They got to get rid of all the old stuff and put in the new stuff, and it really evokes I don't know, almost like a torture type scenario. But uh, tell tell us again, if you would, how that works. Well, brainwashing was invented in the United States by Kurt Lewin back in the 1940s, a three-state process designed to change a student's belief system. It's, you unfreeze the belief system, you change it, and then you refreeze it. It is, pre it is preceded by a, uh, a short period of time where you try to elicit trust and self-disclosure from a student to destabilize their sense of self and their sense of identity, and then to create a kind of vertigo in the student and to whereby their belief system, what they learned at home, is going to be replaced by a belief system that is grounded in neo-Marxist uh, ideology as propounded by education schools. Paulo Freire, Michael Apple, Henry Giroux, a bunch of names that are probably not familiar to people outside the, the colleges, but are absolutely essential to an understanding of what these schools are doing. And this is how the brainwash works. What your previous guest described at the at the very beginning of her um, uh, of the students' um, uh, participation in this after school club, creating a safe space that where no knowledge or no information can emerge, and to garner the trust of the students when there's really no reason to trust these people at all. This is typical of what happens on the college campus. People eliciting trust of students, saying, make yourself vulnerable, reveal information about your parents and your mm -hmm. friends. It's all part of the destabilizing process. And you know what? I remember you know when I went to college, uh, I don't know, everybody kind of made friends almost too easily. You joined a group. You know, you really wanted to fit in because you were kind of alone there and uh, yeah. you adopted this. Vulnerable time. Vulnerable, vulnerable time. indeed. Vulnerable. And you're very susceptible to things. Well, look, I'm so glad you put this in book form. The book is Brutal Minds, the Dark World of Left Wing Brainwashing in Our Universities. Uh, it's available wherever books are sold. Get it online. Get it on Kindle. Get it in book form. Many, many thanks, sir. To be continued. And we'll be right back. Donald Trump with some of his friends, Muhammad Ali, the late Muhammad Ali and the late Rosa Parks, civil rights icon. Civil rights icon. You know, it's interesting. Um, Donald Trump had a lot of black friends, has a lot of black friends. And some people will say just pointing that out is somehow racist. It's ludicrous. I tackle this in my book. Oh, by the way, did you know I wrote a book? Yes, it came out earlier this year. Justice for All, How the Left is Wrong About Law Enforcement. But I, I discuss the issue of race a lot in this book. And from that, I'm going to read something. It's funny that saying, I have black friends, has become, to sneering liberals, the evidence that someone is racist. But the fact is that the type of people who serve in the military, play sports, drive trucks, work on construction sites, 
or otherwise work with their hands tend to interact with people of different races more frequently and consistently than white liberals who make this obnoxious inference. Anyway, it always bothered me, right, that somehow that is an inappropriate thing to say. It's in my book for your consideration, Justice for All, available wherever books are sold. I hope you had a great week. I hope you have a great weekend, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.